listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm dealing with these six non-negotiable habits that overcomers form in their lives. Six non-negotiable habits that overcomers form in their lives. And it's extremely important to understand that victory does not come by accident. In fact, those of you that are watching, uh, put it on the comments, put it in the comments. Victory does not come by accident. Never. Never. It comes by design. It comes by design. Victory doesn't come by accident. It comes by design. And God is watching us to see if we're ready for what he has planned. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day, like God, God doesn't want to bring victory to you, bring increase to you to destroy you. I said that last week. God doesn't want to bring you increase to destroy you. He wants to bring you increase to bless you. So if he finds a person that they're not ready for that next level, you know, that's why the Bible talks about due season, due season. You know, you have to have a due season where you're ready. You're in position to be blessed. God loves you more than what you can do for him. He loves you more than even, and I want, this is going to be hard for some people to catch, but I want you to hear it. God loves you more than even what he can do for you. You say, what do you you mean by that? There are some people, to take them into overwhelming increase at the current moment would actually destroy them because they're not in the place, they're not ready internally for overwhelming increase. I said this last week, um, you know, God watches your heart. Think of of it from this perspective. Why would God ever put something into your life, even if it's good, if he knows it's going to take you away from him? take you away from his presence. He's not going to do that. He wants you to be ready for the increase he brings into your life. And that's the key. And so uh, victory never comes by accident. It's always by design. I see people writing that in the comments. Uh, Very important that you catch that. Today, I want to give you six non-negotiable habits that all overcomers in the kingdom form in their lives. And um, this is something that has really been, the, the, the subject of habits has been something that's really been on my mind over the last quarter, probably. Uh, I've been reading about it, studying about it. And it's wild that even the, the secular world uh, understands the power of the habits that you form. I heard one preacher say this. He said, if you show me a man's habits, I will tell you his future. If you show me a man's habits, I will tell you his future. You can predict where a person is headed by what they do in discipline on a daily basis. You can tell. You can tell. And so uh, God has certain things set up to bring us to his expected end. But we have to be the people that make them happen daily by discipline. You know, even Paul the Apostle said, You know, I I put my body under on a daily basis. Well, that was a habit. 
was a habit for Paul. He didn't say, I put my body under when I feel like putting it under. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I put it under daily. I do it as a discipline. Well, what was the expected end that he wanted? He said, so that after having preached to other people, I myself will not become a castaway. That's the King James, a reprobate. One translation, disqualified. So Paul didn't want his end result to be heavenly disqualification. So what did he do? He said, I've formed a habit. And my habit is daily consecration to God. And so if you show me someone's habits, you can predict their future, where, where they're headed, what they're going to do. Good morning, Frank, Lisa, Patricia, Gina. And again, if you're just logging on, hey, Benita, it's important that you share this broadcast today. It's an important one. Um, I'm going to show you these six habits and explain how to uh, institute them into your life so that you're always seeing that kind of overcoming victorious increase in your life. Um, what the devil would love. Now, here's the thing. I mentioned this yesterday. I'll say it again today. The devil has no control over your life. He's got no control or influence over your increase, over the blessings of God, over the miracles of God in your life. He has no control over those things if you're a Christian. So what does he do since he doesn't have control? What he's been doing since the beginning of time. Notice that um, when Eve and Adam were in the garden, that garden was set up by God, instituted by God, and there was nothing the devil could do to destroy the increase of the Garden of Eden. So what did Satan do? He crept in and used deception, speaking deception, in order to throw off their blessing. And Eve, when she heard his words, what did he say? Did God really say? Four words that destroyed her mentality. Did God really say? And that's what he's been doing for the rest of time. Trying to get God's people to doubt God, to doubt his word, or skew his word so that you don't believe it properly and therefore your faith can't be built, can't be in operation, and you miss out on your blessing. He can't stop it. He just tries to deceive you so you can't receive it. But by putting things into practice that are uh, habits, you can keep yourself from ever falling into those traps. Good morning, Caitlin. Uh, and it's very important. So I want you to see this. Six habits we must develop on a daily basis. We have to do it. Have to do it. And it's good to hear these things over and again and to get them into your spirit. So I encourage you, if you've got to take index cards and write them down and put the scripture with it and post it. Maybe take a little ring. Remember we used to do when we were in school, we'd study things. You write stuff on an index card before there was digital stuff. They, we would punch a hole in the corner and put one of those little rings in it so you could have the flashcards in front of you. If you've got to do that, if you've got to put it in some kind of a note-taking app on your phone, but do it in such a way, this is what I want to encourage you, do it in such a way that it can constantly be in front of your eyes. You know, Jenna, who might be watching uh, that works for us, um, Jenna and Ralph uh, were told they couldn't have children and that she'd never carry children successfully uh, and, and birth them successfully. And 
the power of God hit her. But what did she do? She went into the word of God and said, Lord, show me everywhere in the Bible where women could not have children. And then you touched them and they were able to bear children. And she printed those scriptures out and she put them in different places around her house. What was she doing? She was keeping that vision in front of her face. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do because anything you don't keep in front of your eyes, in front of your face, you'll, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, right? So we keep it in front of our eyes. We write the vision. We make it plain upon tablets that they may run that read it. So understand that even the Bible tells us, book of Habakkuk, the importance of writing the vision down, making it plain. You know, when you have something that's clearly defined, it's much easier to accomplish a clearly defined goal. I heard, um, <clears throat> I heard my uncle uh, Tiff Shuttlesworth, evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, say this one time, and you can put it in your notes if you'd like to. He said, it's very hard to hit a target that you can't see, but it's impossible to hit a target that you don't have. I'm going to say that again because that will, that'll change you. It's hard to hit a target that you can't see, but it's impossible to hit a target that you don't have. And so by setting these as targets, by, by setting these as goals and keeping them in front of your face, it ensures that they'll always be at the front of your mind and that you can strive to complete these goals and complete these tasks. So I got to give you these six from the word and show them to you that they ensure an overcoming lifestyle. And that's why overcomers do these things every single day. The first one is this, for those that are watching, those listening on the podcast, put it in. Number one, people that are overcomers, they never look in the natural uh, at the right now. They always see the end from the beginning. This is huge. This is huge. They always see the end at the beginning. They always see the end at the beginning. That's a big, big benefit if you're able to do that. Why? Because if you're just looking at the current situation, you can become very discouraged very quickly. Because, and, and that's why, even in the natural realm, that's why they, um, that's why they uh, always encourage you if you're doing weight loss or let's say you're doing, uh, you're working out and you're trying to do, you're building muscle or whatever that is, you're, you're always encouraged to do before and after pictures and to track yourself, to track yourself. Um, that's why also they say journaling can be so helpful because you're able to go back and you're able to look at some of your entries from a year ago and see what was going on two years ago, five years ago. And you're like, man, I've come a long way in five years. Really, God has blessed me abundantly in five years. And the thing that, the thing that happens is, if you're always just in your current situation, looking at what's around, things might change more slowly than you think. Not that God can't bless you quickly. But I use the analogy often, I think I did yesterday, or last week, I know I did, is when you take your kids to go see family members, you know, for a holiday or something, and they don't live close to you. And when they see your kids, they're like, man, your kids got so big. 
And you don't recognize it like with that kind of surprise because you see your kids every day. And it's a slow growth and you see them growing so they don't seem any different. But to the person that hasn't seen them in a year, it's like, man, your kids got big. And so that's why it's good to see before and after to have, because if you're losing weight, you're losing a little bit a day. But if you were to look back and say, here's my picture from a year ago, here's my picture now, you see a massive difference. Um, you know, I was looking at that myself. I'm here in Washington, PA Champion Christian Center this week. And um, I was looking at pictures of myself preaching here last year and uh, looking at myself now. And I was surprised because from last year until now, I'm 30 pounds lighter now than I was last year. And so you might not notice it being around yourself all the time and looking in the mirror every day. But man, when I compared those preaching pictures from last year's services to this year's services, it was a big difference. But that was over a year's period of time. So one of the things that it's important to do is to have a vision of the end at the beginning. That you know what you're shooting for, you know what your goal is, and you know what the word of God says is going to be your story. And so you don't let the present situation define who you are. You don't let the present situation define how you feel or what you confess or what you give or how you live. My present situation will never define that. Never define that. I will always, my life will always be defined by what God's word says and what his promises for my future are. Because when my expectation is there, then I know what I'm pressing toward. I know what my goal is and what my expectation is. And I can't be discouraged by the process and by the, the, the journey because I know where I'm headed. I know where I'm headed. And I'm, I'm here to give you some scripture to back that up. Second Kings 4, you know it. It's the story of the woman who, first of all, couldn't have children. And then after the prophet... Um, gave her that word supernaturally, she uh, had a child who died in the field, her son. But instead of being dejected and sad, instead of uh, mourning or any of that, she said, I'm going to see the prophet. I'm going to see the man of God. I'm going to have a miracle. And every time somebody asked her, how's it going? How's it going? You know what she said? It is well. <laughs> was it well in that very moment? No, her son was dead. But what did she say? It is well. What was she doing? She was seeing the end at the beginning. Seeing the end at the beginning. See, because what she was saying was, my faith is going to bring this outcome to pass. I'm on the way to see the prophet of God. The anointing of God is going to bring my son back to life. And so I'm declaring it from the beginning. It's already well. It's already well. And so what, what did she say here? I can see the end at the beginning. I can already see the end. I'm not going to live my life through the lens of the current. That's a big, big thing. That's why it's number one on this list. It's a big thing for people to get in their spirit. A big thing for people to get in their spirit. I will not look at my life through the lens of the current. Big, big, big lesson to learn. Because those that are always in defeat, those that always have a poor confession, those that are always uh, considering, as the Bible says in the Old Testament, considering the wind and considering the weather on whether or not they'll sow seed. 
and they never will. They won't reap a harvest because they're letting the, the, the circumstances of the right now determine whether or not they'll obey God's word or believe God's word or speak God's word or do God's word. And they end up with no harvest, with no blessing. They don't overcome. Why? They're defined by the right now. Don't be that person. Be the person that says, I see the end. I see the promise. I'm moving in that direction. And nothing's going to stop me from having what God said is mine. So important. So very important. And so, that's number one. Number two, I want you to put it in your notes. We're having video and sound sync issues again today. Gary Frank says, sound and video issues. We'll figure it out. Number two, this is big. Not only can you see the end at the beginning, but people that overcome always choose to believe what they say, not what they see. So here's the difference. Not only do I have a vision of the end, right? A vision of the end, as this woman did, but she chose to believe her confession, her promise, God's word, over what is actually happening. And so we're not denying what's going on. Good morning, Ashley. We're not denying what's going on. You might, you might have a negative um, report come to your life. You might get a negative report from a doctor. You might have something going on legally. There might be all kinds of things the devil uses to come at you, but you can not only can you see the end from the beginning, but you don't believe the report of the world. We're not saying it's not there. We acknowledge that it's there. We acknowledge what the doctors say. We acknowledge the legal issues. But the second thing is this. We believe what we say, not what we see. What do we say? Well, there comes a point in every person's life where you come to the place that the question is asked of you. Whose report are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? Well, what's the answer? We will believe the report of the Lord. We will believe the report of the Lord. Look at the uh, 13th verse of 2 Corinthians 4. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Catch that. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. See that. We also believe and so we also speak. Don't let the devil silence you. Let me, let me get this into your spirit. Let me get this into your spirit. Don't let the devil silence you. <laughs> he would love to, love to do this. I, I put it in, in, in a way, a few years ago, I put it out this way, and I put it on my Instagram in different places. But, um, and I think, and you could write it in the comments. The devil's greatest act of violence is tricking you into silence. I want you to think about what that means. The devil's greatest act of violence is tricking you into silence. What does that mean? Well, as I, as I explained earlier, he's got no authority over your life. 
He's got no authority over your increase, your blessing, your covenant, no authority. And so what's the greatest move he can make against every Christian? Tricking them to stay silent. Number one, to not praise God. Number two, to not pray. Number three, to not confess by faith. Think about how powerful these three, three things are. Praise, prayer, confessions of faith. Praise, prayer, confessions of faith. Thankfulness, to thank God out loud. Imagine, praise, prayer, confessions of faith, thankfulness. And if he can, and he, and he would love to, he would love to trick you into silence, to keep you silent. That's the kind of believer that the devil likes, a silent believer. One who doesn't praise, pray, one who doesn't confess, one who doesn't give thanks. The devil's greatest act of violence is tricking you into silence. Dangerous. It's dangerous to be a silent Christian. So what do we do? We believe what we say, not what we see. And obviously, that's with the understanding that uh, what we say lines up with what God said. That's the key. What we say has to line up with what God said. So important. So very important. That's why reading the word of God is so vital, getting it into your spirit. Because it allows me to align my words with what God's already said. Amen. That's why when people ask me how I'm doing. Now, I understand there's people that go overboard on this and they have like a three-page answer ready to go. Hey, Pastor Joe Spence, love you. Um, but, but understand this. Um, I don't ever, even by habit, because I've broken the habit years ago. I don't ever answer somebody based on what's going on in the natural. So if someone's like, how you doing, Brother Ted? Well, keep us in prayer. We're really struggling. You know, the devil's been attacking. I don't, I don't answer that way. I'll never answer that way. How you doing? I'm, I'm extremely blessed. In fact, it's funny because there must be so much of that in the world, those negative responses, that when, <laughs> when people ask me, I'll do it. It's my normal confession, but it's funny because there'll be people, they'll ask me at restaurants, they'll ask me at hotels, they'll ask me at stores. Um, it's so funny because I'll answer, but I'm being truthful. I'm not being facetious. They'll say, how, hey, how are you today? And I'll go, extremely well. They're like, wow, really? I've, that's really good to hear. Like it blows people, it blows people away. Uh, you know, because you, you know what you hear from most people? Um, I'm doing Okay. Oh, I'm hanging in there. Oh, you know, you hear these kind of responses, you know. How are you today? Oh, you know, I'm getting by. I'm getting by. I mean, people answer like that. I will never answer like that. You'll never hear. And I grew up in West Virginia, and there's those colloquialisms, you know. It's kind of just a habitual response. Uh, how you doing? Hey, I'm hanging in there. That is so contradictory to the word of God. There is no Christian that's hanging in there. I'm making it. You know, exactly, Gina. There is no Christian that should respond that way. That is contradictory to what the Bible says. I say what the Bible says, and that's it. You know, I'm not going to go into a huge uh, monologue when some unbeliever at, a, at the front desk of a hotel asks me how I'm doing. 
Like, how, how, how are you today? Well, I want you to understand that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. I want you to understand that I'm seated in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and rulers and dominions in every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. And all things are under my feet because God has placed all things under Jesus' feet and made him to head, be the head of all, over all things to the church, which is his body. That's me, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And when I was dead in trespasses and sins, he raised me up together and seated me in heavenly places. I'm not going to go into all that with every person that asks me how I'm doing. And I'm not going to go into the, you know, I'm too blessed to be distressed and I'm under the spout where the glory comes out. I'm not going to spew cliches at them, but I do want people to understand I'm doing very well, very well. It's like, it like so shakes them. It encourages people like, Hey, how are you? Cause all they hear from most people, most is the negative stuff. Oh, I'm doing okay. You know, trying to get by during all this that's going on, you know. And what you need to hear is somebody stand up and say, I'm doing extremely well. One of the best days I've ever had. Wow, really? Yeah, oh yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It's a great day. I'm doing great. And you know, you can answer that way. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. AJ said, I just asked how you're doing. I'm looking, not looking for a theological dissertation. It's exactly right. There's people that do that to you in the church lobby. You just got to watch out for them. But, you know, I want people to understand, you're never going to hear me uh, bad-mouthing how my life is doing or how God's treated me. I'm doing very well. My family's blessed. You know, and, and people that aren't Christians, they may not understand that. So, you know, I don't answer that way. We'll be like, how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, it's like, well, you know, they don't know what that means anyway. So I give it to them in a way they can understand. How you doing? Extremely well. One of the best days I've ever had in my life. And it just keeps getting better. My, my grandfather used to make it funny. <laughs> Gina said, I've never heard that. I'm under the spout where the glory comes out. Um, but, you know, my grandfather used to make it funny. And he'd say, people would ask him, how you doing, uh, Brother Shuttlesworth? And he'd say, Oh, I'll tell you. He'd say, I'm suffering with comfort. I'm dying of contentment. And I feel better all over more than anywhere else. (laughs) He'd say that all the time. Or sometimes they'd say, how you doing, Brother Shuttlesworth? And he'd say, if I was doing any better, I'd be dangerous. (laughs) And people would laugh, you know. But it's got to be an encouragement that you 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 don't believe what you see. You believe what you say. I don't believe what I see. I believe what I say. I don't even care if there is something trying to manifest in your body. Uh, We're not ignoring the fact that it's there. Faith deals with the reality. But we say, I'm healed in Jesus' name, as I saw somebody put in the comments. I am healed. That's right. You declare it. I am healed. I am healed. I am healed. And so we believe what we say and not what we see. I want you to understand that's habit number two for every overcomer. I'm not going to believe what I see in the natural realm. I believe what I say from God's word. That keeps us locked in to the promise and to the covenant of God. I discipline myself to believe what I say, what God's word says, not what I see. Number three. That's right, Brian. I am great like he's Tony the Tiger from Frosted Flakes. Number three is very important. We always... Make decisions based upon the future and not the present. This is big. I make decisions 
based upon the future and not the present. That's number three. Third non-negotiable habit that overcomers employ in their lives. They develop these habits. We make decisions based upon the future, not the present. Deb said, I'm skinny, young, beautiful, and rich. (laughs) That's your confession. You keep saying it. You keep declaring it. I'm skinny, young, beautiful, and rich. Hallelujah. We make decisions, number three, based on the future and not on the present. What does that mean? Well, let's read Proverbs chapter 11 uh, and verse 24. Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24. In fact, let's start with verse 23. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. This is Proverbs 11, 23, 24, and 25. Proverbs 11, 23 through 25. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. The expectation of the wicked in wrath. Verse 24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Oh, you got to catch this today. And only suffers want. I want to show you something that goes along with this. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. I'm going to break this down for you, why it's so important to catch this. And one who waters will himself be watered. So the question is, if we know that's true, Why is that? That was uh, Proverbs, Shannon. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. Proverbs 11. And by the way, as we're reading these, pop them into the comments for for those that will watch later. Proverbs 11, 23 through 25. Um, the, The question you ask yourself is, well, why is it that there are people who withhold what they should uh, sow? See that verse 24, one gives freely and grows richer. Another withholds what he should give and suffers want. Well, if we know that God's system is sowing and reaping and we're looking at the future and we're making decisions based on the future, not the present, then if, if Christians know that, we, we, ask our, we have to ask ourselves questions like this. Well, then why don't Christians sow when they know they should? How come they don't take actions based upon their future and not their present? Why is that? Well, it actually circles back to number one, because I want you to, I want you to highlight this verse in your Bible a few times. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And if you were just in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is the very next book of the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, just flip over to it. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse four. And I wanted you to, um, I wanted you to see this this verse because it's so important. It circles back to habit number one. They see the end at the beginning. 
But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11.4, he who observes the wind will not sow. Man, this is important. He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. And so what this verse is, is telling us is that there are people who look at the natural realm. They see the wind. They see the clouds. And because they do, they say, well, now's not the time to sow. Now's not the time to take those actions. Now's not the time to move forward and start my own business. Now's not the time to obey God's instruction and go into the ministry. Now's not the time to do this or that. And what the Bible is saying here is that people who constantly regard the wind and the clouds and the natural realm, the present time, not only will they not sow, the writer of Ecclesiastes says they will not reap. That's a, that's a terrible place to be. Terrible place to be. And, and notice what overcomers do, though. It's the opposite of this. It's the opposite of this. Overcomers, not only do they see the end at the beginning, that was habit number one, but they make decisions based on their future, not on their present. Oh, man, this is a big one. That, that's what faith is. Faith makes decisions no matter what it looks like in the natural realm. We walk by faith and not by sight. There's people that think doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt's not the opposite of faith. Sight is the opposite of faith. Why do I say sight is the opposite of faith? Well, what does the Bible say about faith? It says faith is what? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that are not yet seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. It means you can't see them, but you know you have them. You can't see them, but you know you have them. So faith takes actions based upon. I'll give you an example. Uh, we walk by, the Bible doesn't say we walk by faith, not by doubt. It says we walk by faith, not by sight. Because sight's the opposite of faith. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. So, so watch this now. But blind Bartimaeus, Mark chapter 10. What did he do that was based on his future, not on his present? You ready for this? Because this is exactly what I'm talking about. Overcomers like Bartimaeus, they make decisions based upon their future, not their present. Well, what did he do? Well, he was blind and he was a beggar. And in those days, if you were a blind beggar, there was a garment that you had to wear that signified you were a blind beggar. And when he heard that Jesus was passing outside of Jericho and leaving, other people were saying, here comes Jesus of Nazareth. Bartimaeus shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and called. He said, bring the man to me. Now here's what'll stir you up. When he stood up, he took that cloak that signified that he was blind, that he was a beggar. He took it and took it off and cast it to the side. Took it off and cast it to the side. Why 
Would he do that? Because he was making a decision based upon his future, not upon his present. Which means he understood that when I get into the presence of the Lord, when Jesus touches me, I will no longer need this cloak that defines me as a beggar. I won't be blind and I won't need to beg after Jesus touched me. Jesus hadn't touched him yet. Jesus hadn't manifested his power yet, but he knew. And so he took an action, threw that garment off and began to walk. He may have had to grope his way. Maybe somebody led him by the hand. He couldn't see yet, but he was about to see. And he made a decision based on faith, not on his present, on his future. And by the time Jesus was done touching him, the man regained his sight and no longer had to beg and no longer had to be led around by the hand. It was his faith that made him whole. It was his faith that made him whole. And so people that are um, overcomers, they will make decisions based upon the future and not upon the present. Hey, Janine, have a good VBS. Number four, the fourth thing I want you to catch. People that are overcomers, they are always ready to fight. Always ready to fight. Big. Very big. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. I heard Bishop Boyadepo say this. I'll never forget it. He said, only fighters are qualified to be winners. I want you to put it in the comments. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. Hallelujah. Number four, overcomers are always ready to fight because only fighters are qualified to be winners. Look at this now. First Timothy four, or excuse me, first Timothy six. Uh, and we're going to look at verse 12. Paul is charging his son in the gospel, Timothy, charging him on how to live. And he says this in verse 12, again, put it in the comments, the reference, first Timothy six, 12, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So according to Paul, Timothy is required to fight the good fight of faith. And if you don't understand this, uh, let me explain it. Faith is a fight. Faith is a fight. So what in the world does that mean? Faith is a fight. Yes. You're fighting against the natural. You're fighting against your flesh. And if you don't know uh, this principle, it's found in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Paul taught this. And this is why he's encouraging Timothy. That's why he lived his life the way he did, Paul. Because he understood there's a constant war going on. In fact, he refers to it another way and calls it a war in his members. Meaning in the members of his body. Internal war. What's Paul talking about? Verse uh, 16 of Galatians 5. I say, walk by the Spirit. And you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Now look at this. 17 is huge. Galatians 5.17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Why is faith a fight? Because you will always, by the spirit, fight against your flesh, carnal desires. You'll always fight against the antichrist system and agenda that's at work in the world, always. You will always fight against the natural circumstances in life that try to stand against you and oppose what God said is yours. And so faith is a fight. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? It's a spiritual fight. Faith is a fight. You have to subdue your flesh, the carnal nature. You've got to subdue the spirit of this world. You've got to keep your eyes off the natural, and you've got to wrestle against every spiritual uh, force of wickedness. That's what faith does. It fights a spiritual fight, and at the same time subdues the carnal nature. And so people that refuse to fight fall back into the flow of the world. They fall right back into the flow of the world. And the key is we're fighting the good fight of faith. And we can lay hold. We can take hold of eternal life. That's what Paul told Timothy by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Very important. So when we fight, and here's the thing, we never get to a place. And I, you, you've heard me say this often on the broadcast. We never get to the place where we throw life into cruise control. We're just going to shift that right into cruise control. And then we're going to glide just through the rest of life. No, that'll never be the case. That'll never be the case. We are always fighting the good fight of faith. Got to be fighters. Got to be fighters. Number five, the fifth habit that overcomers always develop and it stays in their lives is that they learn how to laugh with purpose. Put that in the, in the comments and in your notes. Learn to laugh with purpose. I cannot even begin to stress how important joy is in the life of every believer. Cannot begin to stress. Can't begin to. I like what uh, Aaron said. Cruise control is for my car, not for my life. <laughs> That's exactly right. But joy, as I've preached many times, is the fuel for increase. It's the fuel for life. The Bible teaches in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10 that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The reason people lose their strength, they lose their momentum, they lose their ability, is that they allow joy to leave their life. They allow peace to leave their life. You know what they're left with? Heaviness and anxiety and fear. And then weakness. Because if there's no joy, then you got no strength spiritually and you're, you got weakness. And in fact, according to Isaiah uh, chapter 12 and verse 3, I want you to see it. Isaiah 12, 3. The Bible says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. <laughs> yes, with joy, you will draw water 
Think about it. From the wells of salvation. So it takes joy. I always tell people this. Think of your salvation like a well, as the Bible's saying here, the wells of your salvation. But think about joy as the bucket that's able to be lowered into the wells and pull out all of the blessings that are in your salvation. With joy will you draw water from the wells of your salvation. There is different, are different benefits that come through and with salvation. It's not just right standing with God. That is the main benefit. But then healing is in your salvation. Peace are in your salvation covenant. Provision is in your salvation covenant. Deliverance is protection. But all these things, joy is the bucket that keeps us moving forward, that pulls the blessings of God out of the wells of salvation. Isaiah 12 and verse 3 tells us that. Number five, we learn to laugh on purpose. There's times you don't feel like laughing, laugh anyway. <laughs> Just laugh even if you don't feel like it. People might think you're, you're insane. That's all right, let them think that. You know that your joy, I'll laugh in the flesh until I feel my joy come on. People, I'm telling you, people think you're insane. You're a nut job. They think you're a, a nut job. But who can, whatever you do in the privacy of your own home is your, that's your own business. I'm often, do you know what you'll make your, my dead flesh, I'll make it dance when it doesn't feel like dancing. You watch, I'm sure you've seen it on our Instagram, my wife and I will dance through the house. We'll dance, we'll put music on, we'll dance. We tell the kids, it's time to dance. We'll have a praise break in the kitchen. <laughs> Carolyn pull out her spoon that's, you know, use it like a microphone, the wooden spoon microphone. She'll sing into it. And then somebody sent her microphones that are uh, wooden spoons that on the back have a carving of a microphone grate and everything on the back. So it looks like a microphone. And she'll pull those out and she'll dance around the kitchen and sing into her wooden spoon. And the kids will dance and shout and we'll dance all over the house. You dance when you don't feel like dancing. Shout when you don't feel like shouting. Sing when you don't feel like singing and laugh when you don't feel like laughing. Make your flesh line up with the power of God's word. You know why I've got joy? Because the Bible says I've got joy. I don't feel joyful. Step out. Do what a joyful person would do. Laugh when you don't feel like laughing. <laughs> you ever, if you ever listen to old Brother Hagin before he passed away, he, Brother Hagin would... Uh, he would just laugh, but it, it wouldn't even, he wouldn't even try to even make it sound like a real laugh. I don't know if you ever heard him do it. He'd say, I laugh at the devil. I laugh at these situations. He would just go, ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. I mean, like, he would laugh just like that. <laughs> Didn't even try to make it sound like a real laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha. He would just laugh like that. Whatever you got to do, laugh on purpose. Joy on purpose. I said, get joy on purpose. Get joyful. Dance. Shout. Jump. I don't, I don't feel like it. You've got a reason. If you just read the word of God, there's so many reasons to jump and shout and give God praise. And when you do, it brings strength into your life. It brings strength into your life. Do you know they're, they're even telling us this now? They've discovered it now. We're in 2021 and we've got psychologists and we've got doctors neurologists that they just know that when people uh, laugh or they get in that place, there's certain chemicals released in your body. There are stress hormones and stress chemicals and there are joy hormones and joy chemicals. 
You look at it for yourself. And they, they know the things that produce those chemicals in the body. That's why doctors can tell you uh, to do certain things. Well, you know, you're, you, you need to relieve your stress because stress is causing you. Now we have what's called stress-related illnesses. And so now, well, you need to release your stress and, you know, you need to find a hobby or, you know, you need to do this or need more exercise, get some vitamin D, you know, take it easy. You know, if you like fishing, go fishing or whatever, but you need to do something that's going to relieve stress. Well, why? Because that stress, that heaviness is releasing chemicals into your body. Releasing chemicals in your body. What is the, uh, I, it just skipped my mind. I was just going to say it and it just skipped my mind. What's the stress hormone called? You know what it is? Is it cortisol? You don't know. Do you, anybody can put it in there? I can't remember. What is the stress hormone called? Is it, is it cortisol? <laughs> Aaron said stress is so stressful. <laughs> but there's a stress hormone that, you know, you have to, Aaron, Aaron said yes. Um, that, that you... If you just operate in joy, walk in joy. You know, there's different, yeah, cortisol. There's different um, chemicals released in your body when you're joyful, when you're laughing, when you have, literally. And then there's other chemicals released in your body when you're full of stress and anger and anxiety and depression. And, and then it's like, it begins to affect even your physical body. Imagine that. Affects your physical body. Now we can understand, can't we? Why the writer of Proverbs wrote thousands of years ago in Proverbs 17, 22, that a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Why does a merry heart do good like a medicine? Because notice what it's doing. Uh, God knew this. He created your body. That when you live in a joyful place, that it releases and even changes into your physical body. Imagine how powerful that is. A merry heart does good like a medicine. There was a man of God who um, came to our house in West Virginia. I wrote about this in one of my books. Friend of our family. And uh, he was really battling. He was dealing with a true attack. And he was ready to quit the ministry. And he was ready to just, I mean, it, it was a true attack of the devil. And um, my father said, come stay with us. You know, come stay with us for a little while. And so he came down, took a trip, came down to our house in West Virginia, and uh, he stayed in my room. I gave him my room the time that he was there. And uh, I, I was interested to see, what is dad going to do? Because he was dealing with, with all this. And uh, I said, I wonder if he's just going to lay hands on him. I wonder if he's just going to, you know, take authority over that spirit that's trying to attack his life. And I watched all these things. And, and dad didn't do that. He might have later, but he didn't, he didn't do that. The man stayed with us. And I was like, I wonder... What's he going to do? And so we would, um, we would hang out. We would, uh, we would have dinner. We would, we would, he'd just be around the house. And then at night, after dinner, <laughs> we would go into the living room. And dad uh, would have that, that preacher sit in the lazy boy chair. We'd sit on the couch. Dad sit on the couch. And we'd just put on movies, funny movies or shows. So dad would put on, you know, old stuff, Three Stooges, <laughs> Abbott and Costello, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, old stuff. And we'd put them on and, and just put a, and sit there and watch them and just laugh and laugh 
and laugh and laugh. And I'd watch that man. I'd keep my eye on him. He'd be in the chair and he'd be laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. I mean, just rolling. He'd be belly laughing and he, he'd be scream laughing. And, I, and it would make me laugh that he was laughing. And, and this went on and on. And the whole situation in, in his mind and in his life turned around. <laughs> turned around. Left there a new man. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. And instead of quitting the ministry, he went to another level in ministry. And he's still ministering today and having some of the best meetings of his entire life. And this was what? 20 years ago that this took place. And now he's having some of the best meetings of his life, have, you know, enjoying ministry, enjoying his family. Uh, that attack is gone. Victory. I mean, it's, it's amazing what happens when joy hits your life. I made up in my mind and so did my, my wife. Our house is going to be a house of joy. What does that mean? Uh, we're not going to have bickering, moaning, complaining, and unthankfulness. We're not going to have stress. We're not going to have anxiety. Our house, our home, it is a safe haven from every wicked thing the devil would use to destroy it. So much so, I mean, when we, when we buy a house, we anoint the house. We anoint it with oil and give it to God. We, we turn it over to God. Lord, this is a place where your spirit dwells. This is a place where your spirit dwells. And um, we have had people just straight up tell us, just straight up tell us. They'll walk into our house. I, I don't mean just friends, but friends have. People come in, man, your house is so peaceful. Your house is so joyful. And, and the, they're just blown away by it. We've had people come over to counsel with us that at the door were weeping, stressed out, crying. I mean, tears staining their face. Walk in, sit out on our couch, and within moments, they're off dead asleep. Pure peace. I mean, pure peace. Here's the funny one to me, is that we have workers. Last year, we had a lot of workers come into the house uh, we had things, we had to have things uh, rebuilt and fixed. And um, all these workers came into our house, not Christians, you know, not guys smoking three packs a day, construction workers, you know, come into our house. And they told my wife and I, man, I love working in your house. Your house is so peaceful. Your house is so, and it's like, they couldn't believe it. Sinners, they couldn't believe it. They're like, I'll come back here and do work anytime, man. Your house is so peaceful. Yeah, so peaceful because we've given it over to God and joy is our strength. We laugh on purpose. We cultivate an atmosphere of joy. We will always overcome because you can't steal my joy. You can't steal my peace. You can't steal my love. When I was in the intensive care unit with my daughter, my cousin Jonathan called me and we started talking. And he never once knew that I was in any kind of trouble. He never once knew that I was in the middle of the intensive care. And he called his mom and she said, well, I guess you've heard what happened to Teddy. And, his, and she, he said, no, I just got off the phone. She said, well, you know, his daughter's in the hospital and I see you. He said, no, I don't think you're right. He said, I just talked to him for like an hour and he, we were just laughing and joking. She's like, no, absolutely. He's in there. He's in there now. And it's something he told me later. He said, I remembered that that you were in the midst of that issue with your daughter in the ICU and you never once mentioned it and you sat there and laughed and talked to me for an hour and just joked around. 
Why? I'm not letting any situation steal my joy. I'm not letting any situation steal my peace. We're going to have victory at all. And joy is the fuel for victory. Finally, number six. And this is a big one. Number six. Mirror your mentor. That's what successful people do. That's what uh, overcomers do. Mirror your mentor. Mirror your mentor. Let me read to you 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2. And uh, I could really read you the whole story. This is the transition from Elijah to Elisha. Elijah to Elisha. And he was ready to step up into the next level of what God had for him. But I want you to catch this. Elijah tested him and said, oh, you know, you can stay behind. I got to go somewhere else. He said, as the Lord my God lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I'll not leave your side. I'll not stop serving you. Three tested and he never left. And then when it was time for that transition, Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. The Bible says he left his cloak behind his mantle. He left his mantle. Well, how did they get to that place where the chariot of fire came to get him? They crossed the Jordan River. And the Bible says Elijah took his mantle and struck the water with it. And when he struck the water, the waters parted. The waters parted. And they walked across on dry ground. And then they meet up with the chariot of fire, comes to get him, takes him away. But before he goes, he drops his mantle down to Elisha. Elisha picks it up and goes right back to the water after his mentor is gone. And notice verse 14 of 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 2, 14. Look, then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah. And when he'd struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elijah, or and Elisha, went over. Notice what he did. In the same way he saw his mentor do it moments before, he took that cloak and he struck the water. And look what he shouted Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And here's the key look at verse 15. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, look, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They didn't have to get close to him to notice he was now anointed with a new anointing. They saw it from far away. The anointing of Elijah is on Elisha. Notice what he did. He mirrored his mentor. There are people that God will place in your life to build you up, to strengthen you, to teach you the way. And the way that impartation works, you are called to not only sit under their gift and their ability and their, and their, and their calling, but to take on those things. That's why people don't understand spiritual submission in our generation, but that's how you receive. All authority is delegated authority. And, and when you look at the way impartation works, this is the reason I wrote the book, Further Faster. Because people don't seem to understand the power of impartation in our generation. But God wants us to go further faster through that force of impartation. It's what happened here. Let me get this into your spirit. This parting of the Jordan was Elijah's last miracle of his ministry. 
Took him his whole ministry to get to that miracle. And look at this. It was Elisha's first miracle. It was the very first thing Elisha did. He picked up right from where his mentor left off. You see how God wants to move in your life. He doesn't want you to learn from the ground up, from scratch, and every generation start from the bottom level. He wants us to build upon that which was uh, built before us by those that went before us. It's a, it's a crazy thing to try to be independent of anybody and everybody. Be linked up with those that God connects you with and learn and receive. This is what overcomers do. They receive. Look at how Moses transferred to Joshua, and Joshua was an overcomer. Elijah transferred to Elisha, and Elisha was over, an overcomer. Uh, Jesus transferred to the disciples, and they were overcomers. The apostles transferred to the early church. They were overcomers. Paul transferred to Timothy. Paul transferred to Titus. Paul transferred to Onesimus. They all became overcomers. It's all about receiving impartation. There's many ways you can receive it, through the laying on of hands, through teaching and wisdom like this. You're receiving an impartation of wisdom just from being a part of these broadcasts. That's why I call you the victory tribe. You're receiving victory just through preaching and teaching. Just through preaching and teaching. Now, I'm going to pray for you today because what I'm, what I'm truly believing is that by the time this year comes to an end, we'll see victories we've never seen before. We will overcome in ways we've never overcome before in the history of our Christianity. I'm talking about stuff that will blow people's minds when they see what God's done. Blow people's minds. So I want to pray for you. I want you to bow your head and receive it wherever you are. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for your precious people today. Lord, I pray that there would be such stark victories that would bring such a contrast to what's going on around them in the world that it would blow the minds of unbelievers. Lord, open doors for your people as we step out and we have a vision of the end at the beginning. Believe your word, making decisions based on the future, ready to fight at any time, filled with joy on purpose and receiving from those above us. I pray as we step out and do these things that you will increase us so rapidly, so rapidly, that it would be clearly seen by all and you'll get all the glory for it. You'll get all the glory for it in the mighty name of Jesus. I give you praise. I give you thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 If you, if you believe that, you receive it. Throw your hands up in the comment section. Throw some fire in the comment section and give God praise. Listen, I'm here in Washington, PA. I'm here again tonight, here again tomorrow night. Every night at 7 o'clock Eastern time. I want to see you in person. There's people driving from far away. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Erica and her friend drove last night from State College three hours away to be a part of the revival. And then drove home after the service three hours. Six hours round trip to be a part of the services. And man, was I blessed by that. Get here, man. It's, it's, there was standing room only last night. It was a powerful, powerful night. And tonight's going to be even better. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. And so I want to see you. Also, those of you that are partners with our ministry, uh, I don't even know if Jen is on. She can tell me. There's Erica in the comments. Love you. Um, I think there's only like two or three seats left for the Victory Tribe homecoming weekend. Literally, this quickly, we're down to just that. Uh, two or three seats left. I might be wrong. Zach could tell me we may be, we may, but 
if you got your RSVP by email, if you got it via text, I'm telling you, you need to do it today because uh, we're running out of we're running out of room, and um, I can't wait to see it. November the 12th and the 13th, it's going to be a blast. 12th is a Friday night. We're going to be at Central Assembly of God for a revival service one night, and then the 13th is a Saturday of November, 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. We have a special uh, Victory Tribe lunch at the Renaissance Hotel in Allentown, PA. For all of you that are partnered with us, uh, and I'm telling you, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to see you, ready to hang out. It's going to be a good, good time. Um, I want to encourage you, those of you that are watching, to take a minute today and sow a seed by faith uh, into this ministry. God has a plan to increase you, but are you sowing the seed necessary to receive the harvest that God has planned for your life? It always takes that seed to produce a harvest. There are no blessings that come accidentally. They come on purpose. That's why God gives seed to the sower to kickstart his system and to show you he's got more for you in the future than what you have now. And so I want to encourage you because as we're expanding, as we're touching the world with the gospel of Christ, and we just had another week, new, new forms came in. People were getting blessed. People were getting saved all around the world. And I see their contact information coming in. You're a part of that. And now we're expanding again, holding revivals, crusades, media, television. God's done it all. He's done it all. It's mind-blowing. And you're a part of that. Step out by faith. Sow a seed. There's people watching. The Lord's been dealing with you about partnering with our ministry. Partner with us. Sow a seed. Go on to the website, miracleword.com, and uh, click the partner page. See all that we're doing. And join yourself to a ministry that's touching the world by the power of God. If you'd like to sow, you can go to miracleword.com today. Love you, Lena. And uh, click on the give page or the partner page and sow a seed. All kinds of ways you can sow. As you know, you can use Cash App or PayPal, Zelle, Venmo. You can use cryptocurrency to give now. Uh, You can use debit or credit card. There's all different ways. You can see there on the screen, there's the different ways that you can sow. And all of those are uh, listed on miracleword.com. And so... Uh, if you're on uh, Twitter or Facebook, you can use hashtag donate in the comments section. But do something by faith today and watch what God will do. For this month of August, for everybody that is uh, sowing a partnership seat of $85 or more, we're sending you Bishop Oyedepo's book, Operating in the Supernatural. This will open your eyes and bless you, build your faith. It's time for Christians to operate in the supernatural like we never have, especially with all that's going on around the world right now. It's time to step out in faith and watch God move supernaturally. And that, that book will help you. If you'd like to receive that and you've sown your um, seed, you can always go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Fill out the form so we know where to send it and we'll get it to you uh, as quickly as possible. Again, don't miss all these upcoming meetings we've got. I want to see you in person. Next week, starting on Sunday, uh, we will be in... Albemarle, North Carolina, under the tent. I'll be joining my father and my mother, and we're going to be under the big tent in Albemarle, outside of Charlotte, for a week of revival meetings. And then coming up this month, on the 29th of the month, one day only, Super Sunday, Crossroads Community Church, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Cannot wait to see you. All of the meetings are on the website, miracleword.com forward slash schedule would love to see you in person. We love seeing the Victory Tribe in person. I love you guys. 
Have a great, powerful day. Hope I'll see you tonight in the service and I'll see you again tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Be blessed. I'll talk to you soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.